This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is by my dad, Warren Tanner. It is entitled, So Stand Fast. And uh, you can feel free to check us out on our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. You can find our archived Shabbat messages there, as well as blog posts that my dad writes weekly. You can subscribe to those if you put your email in the little email subscribe box. And at the bottom of our homepage, as always, you can find our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where we put stuff up like, um, uh, you know, links to my dad's blog posts, uh, the tour portions, things like that. And uh, you can subscribe to our podcast wherever you find yours, Google Play, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, things like that. If you live anywhere within the seacoast area of New Hampshire, uh, feel free to come visit us on a Shabbat. We meet uh, in Newfields. And our theme music, as always, is by my buddy Evan Shaw. He's on Instagram, uh, uh, Evan Shaw Music, and his website is evanshawmusic.com. Hope you have a good week. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does All right, here we go. So let's uh, take our Bibles this morning. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 3. Um, we're going to read the chapter, all of which I believe leads into what I want to talk about, which is chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, but thanks to a helpful note here in my, my study Bible, I was able to see that chapter 3 really leads into chapter 4 and what Paul says that he wants these believers to do. So we'll read uh, Philippians 3 through chapter, all the way through chapter 3, then uh, the first verse of chapter 4. All right, let's pray. Father, bless this time. Um, you know why we're doing this. Sometimes we wonder what we're doing. And um, I pray, Father, that, th that our efforts will not be in vain and that somehow, Father, you'll be preparing us, building us and enabling us to do exactly what the Apostle Paul said to do. And I pray, Father, you work in the hearts and lives of, of all of us to just be, be more desirous to hunger and thirst after righteousness, to want to be more conform, conformed to Yeshua. I mean, do a work in our hearts, Father. Uh, and may this all not be for naught and get a hold of all of our hearts. And bless this time in Yeshua's name. Amen. All right, so I'm entitling this, So Stand Fast. So Stand Fast. That's chapter 4, verse 1, but we're going to read chapter 3 into verse 4, uh, into chapter 4, verse 1. And we'll, we'll look at this idea of so stand fast. This may be why I'm so worked up on what we were just talking about here. All right, chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the Torah, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, 
and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the Torah, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which so, uh, sorry, and mark them which walk so as ye have heard. Uh, uh, sorry, the 17 again. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. So, you know, I'm reading again, probably third time through here on Philippians. And, and you know, I'm sure it happens to you, just things jump out. And so this so stand fast just really jumped out to me and I got thinking about what that means. And so I, I, I just, this is a whole lot of everything that I did for myself. So when it says, so stand fast, what my mind goes to is Matthew 5, 16, where it says, let your light so shine in such a way. Let your light so shine. It's the idea of in such a manner. Let your light shine in such a manner that people will see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It's the same thing here. We are to, in such a manner, stand fast. So stand fast in such a manner. I think chapter 3 leads up to that. We hit chapter 4, verse 1, and then he proceeds through the rest of the book on what it means in a practical way to stand amongst themselves. And I don't know, I just feel like we really need to have this message of standing, standing fast. All right, now, I, I, I found some, there's other verses where it talks about standing fast. And, and just turn with me if you want real quickly. I'm going to just because I want to. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. I wrote them all down, but I think just seeing them uh, completely is good. So just a couple other verses where Paul encourages God's people to stand fast and, and what's connected with the stand fast. All right, so 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Paul says to the Corinthians, he's, he's winding this down. He's had to deal with these people. There's a whole lot going on. And, and now he's trying to get, get them to realize they have a mission. So he says, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong, be men. I, I was reading where the Septuagint translates the same word where, where it's quit you. It's, just, it's the same Greek word that's used in the Septuagint uh, where, uh, where Joshua is telling them to be strong in the Lord. And, and it has that connection to that verse back there. It's the idea of, of 
not stop being strong, like quit, we think quit now. It's actually a word that's a call to action. Take action. Be like this. Do this. And, and he's calling upon the men, I think, act like men. You know, act like men. Stand in the faith and, and act like men. I mean, we need that today, especially in the Messianic movement. I mean, and in Christianity, the men to be men and to lead the families and be what they're supposed to be. All right. Um, Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5. All right. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So we've been set forth, and, and, and it's not just, well, we can do whatever we want right now. It's the liberty of, you don't have to go back into legalism. You don't have to try to do a bunch of things to get right with God. You're saved by grace through faith. And so you've been set free from that bondage that the, the Judaizers twisted all around and, and, and tried to bring everybody back under this heavy weight. No, no, you've been set free from that. It's not, you can just do whatever you want anymore. All right, uh, Philippians, I guess up to where we are. Chapter 1 in Philippians. Only, 127, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in, this is novelty, I'm in a bad, I'm in, I'm in a bad mood today, so just bear with my tone but that you may stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. He, he, he wants, because he's going to say Yodius and Synecdoche, there seems to be a little uh, tit and tat going back and forth, and he's, trying, he's already building to this thing of, no, get rid of your differences, come together on the basics, and the basics are Christ, you've been set free in Him. Now when you come together, just set all the other garbage to the side, and have one mind and one spirit. And then our verse in chapter 4, verse 1. Then just two more. First Thessalonians, if you go up there, chapter 3, verse 8. First Thessalonians 3, 8. For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. See, our strength isn't... We, we, we're to stand fast in His strength, in the Lord. And, and we can't do this on our own. And then the last one, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 and verse 15. These, these are all. But I thought it was interesting. I like to do this to see how you know, these things may be used elsewhere. Uh, 2.15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and stand fast. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold to traditions which ye have been taught whether by word or our epistle. So, so, so Paul repeatedly, I mean, to the Corinthians, the Galatians, to the Philippians, to the Thessalonians, he, he, he feels the need, as much as I think I do too, to call upon God's people to just, oh, look, I'm in such a bad mood today, to grow a couple for God, you know? To just kind of... People, if, if we believe what we believe, there is a cost. And part of that cost is to just stand fast and be faithful and do what is right. All right, now, let me, let me, let me, let, let me give you an illustration as I thought of, of where I want to go with this idea of standing fast. Because this is set, and I'll, we're gonna, I'll read this to you in a second. It, this is, Paul's addressed in Philippi, and that's important, the, 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 the uh, colony of Philippi. And, and, and I think part of his language in here has a military connotation because of they live in Philippi, and, and I'll read about that in a minute. But So I'm coming at this kind of with a military perspective. So an illustration of standing fast. You're the last line of resistance. You're called upon to remain behind, stand and fight, so the rest of your fellow soldiers can live to fight another day. 
You know, you've seen enough war movies probably to where those poor schmucks are told or asked that they have to stay behind because you have to get the wounded, we have to get supplies back, you know, we have to try to get back as many people as you can, and sorry, you guys are some of our best fighters, so we need you to hold the line, stand fast, because there's so much at stake. And, and so that's, that's, that's the idea of it. Now, my following thoughts that I want to share spring from a, a note here that I have in my study Bible about chapter 4, verse 1. They say, therefore, where it says in 4, 1, therefore, my brethren, therefore concludes that the recipients should stand fast or persevere in their relationship with Christ. Now, this is what I never saw before. They take this back to chapter 3. I'm not going to do it the way they do, but it got me thinking, oh, this connection goes back to chapter 3. So, they're to persevere in the relationship with Christ. And I thought this was so good. Not allowing the Judaizers, chapter 3, verses 2 through 11, the perfectionists, chapter 3, 12 through 16, or the hedonists, chapter 3, 17 through 21, to, uh, to disrupt their Christian walk. I thought that was so good because I never would have seen the chapter that way. So he's encouraging them to stand fast in their relationship with Messiah, not allowing the Judaizers, the perfectionists, or the hedonists to disrupt their Christian walk. That's what he's going back to. Listen, there's these Judaizers, there's these perfectionists, and then there's the hedonists. And they're all vying for your attention, and, and probably it comes under the whole umbrella of the Judaizers. And so you have to stand fast in your relationship with Christ and with one another. Right, so now I want to read uh, a note here that I have in the introduction to my Bible here about Philippi, the city of Philippi. I thought this was good. The city was established by and named after Philip of Macedon, father of Alexander the Great. After Octavian defeated Mark Antony's army in Actium in 31 BC, Philippi was designated as a military colony with special privileges of citizenship. This may account for the terminology used in chapter 1, verse 27, to conduct oneself as a citizen in chapter 320. Citizenship. Proud of their citizenship, uh, its inhabitants called themselves Romans. The official language was Latin, but the daily tongue was Greek. According to Acts 16, 12, Philippi was the chief city of that power of Macedonia. Its importance lay not least in its being a crossroads lying on one of the main routes between Asia and Europe. So this is an important city and it was designated as a military colony. And so it talks about, you know, the, their special privileges as, as a citizen and this idea of their citizenship. And they called themselves Romans. And so and, and so and, uh, and, and I have another note here, one more on this four seven, uh, where it says, uh, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts, keep your hearts, that word keep, shall keep. Um, the note says, I have a hard time because it goes across the whole page. Shall keep means shall guard. This is a military term for a sentinel standing guard duty. As Philippi was guarded by a Roman garrison and its citizens were accustomed to seeing soldiers protecting the city, this word, keep guard, would be especially appreciated by the readers. So... <laughs> When he says, and the peace of God, uh, which passes all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds. Well, they're looking at it from the word that is used for a garrison. And they're going to be thinking, oh, we live in, we live in Philippi. So we get that what it means. Now we see the guards all around. And, and if we just cast all our care upon him and come to him, the peace of God is going to guard us, just like those soldiers are, that are out there protecting us. And we need to see our God that way, which is, is not always easy to do, but our God is watching over his people, and his peace will guard us. Now, my outline of chapter 3 goes like this, and we'll get into this message, and it has military uh, overtones. 
Flush out the enemy. That's number one. Chapter three, one through three. Focus on Christ. That's four through twelve. Forget the past. Thirteen through sixteen. Forge alliances. Seventeen through twenty-one. So, flush out the enemy. Chapter three, one through three. Two. Focus on Christ. Four through twelve. Forget the past. Thirteen through sixteen. Forge alliances. Seventeen through twenty-one. That's how I think we're supposed to stand fast. So the first thing I came up with as I was looking at chapter three with this military mindset of what Paul is trying to get them to do, to be able to sow in such a manner, stand fast, look back and see what I just told you, as we would say, in chapter three, and then take it and apply it to your own personal setting in chapter four. So first off, he says, flush out the enemy. That's chapter three. And I get that from the word really verse two. beware. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. He's he. Paul, in essence, is doing that. He, he's flushing out the enemy. He's telling them who the enemy is, who they need to focus on and how to see them for what they really are. They are dogs or evil workers. They're the ones that are cutting off improperly. And, and I had a whole bunch of stuff to share with you about what dogs were. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. But if you, you could just think of a dog, you know, and, and, you know, not the nice, loving things that we think of. That's part of the other thing. To them, in Philippi, the dogs are scavengers. They roamed the streets. They ate the refuge. They made, they made a mess with their ref... Uh, um, yes, with their own refuse. You know, they, 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 they were these scavengers that roamed the city and they made a nuisance of themselves. And, and they preyed on the weaknesses of other people and they just, just foul. And, and I love this because Paul is saying once again, because the enemies of the Judaizers, these guys that are coming in to do this, beware those dogs. It's so politically incorrect what he does here. It's refreshing to me. Ah. Uh. So the enemy is the Judaizers. And he's, he's hitting upon the fact that they have enemies. Chapter 1, verse 28. Um, if I can get to it. In, in nothing terrified by your adversaries. So he's already letting them know there's some people that are out to attack you. And in chapter 3, verse 18, he says... For many of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross. So Paul is letting them know that they have enemies and he's flushing out the enemies. It's just like a hunter that's trying to get the quail to come out so he can shoot them. They're there. They're kind of hidden behind the scene. You, you, you know they're there. And they just have to be flushed out. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing. So um, I have a note here. Yeah, I'm going to read this anyway. All right. So Paul warns, this is on verse two. Paul warns the Philippians against dogs, which are then described as evil workers and lastly as a concision. These three epithets refer to Judaizers. They were Jews who professed to be Christians. They preached that unless one is circumcised according to the custom of Moses, one cannot be saved. This was good. Their chief weapon was persuasion rather than persecution. And they were one of the chief dangers to the early church. They are figuratively called dogs. To the Eastern mind, this animal was the most despised, shameless, and miserable creature, a scavenger roaming the streets and feeding on refuse. As Jews held Christians in disdain, often calling them dogs, Paul similarly regards the Judaizing party. He, he, the apostle refuses to call Judaizers a circumcision. The very ex, uh, expression applied in verse 3 to genuine Christians. Instead, he calls them concision, meaning those who mutilate or cut the flesh. Judaizers mutilated the, mutilated the flesh by imposing circumcision on their converts and blah, 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 blah. 
And so, so he, he comes right out and he, and he calls them dogs. But I think it's interesting, he doesn't name them. There's not one person named here. Whether he knew who they were or not, I don't know. I have a feeling he probably had an idea, but he doesn't name them. And he's already said, you know, I, there's people in Philippians earlier, he said, there's people preaching, whether in pretense or, or in truth, I, I rejoice. Some preach Christ out of envy, hoping to make things worse for me, but others are preaching the truth. So I think he has an idea of who the enemy is, who the adversary is, and what's going on here. But Paul is still telling them that they need to stand fast. And the only way a local congregation can do that is you have to flush out, flush out the enemy. You know, there are people that come, Paul said, they're going to rise up from your own midst, these evil workers, and they're going to try to just lead the flock astray. And so Paul constantly, if, if you're familiar with his writings at all, is constantly trying to get God's people to be on guard against the infiltrators that will come in, our own modern Judaizers, that are going to try to wreak havoc with the conversation and draw converts after themselves. All right. So that's the first thing for standing fast. The second thing in chapter three is, uh, and I think this is so good, focus on Christ. So it's easy to just fixate on what the problems are, what the enemy is, what's wrong with everything. And, and as so often happens to I me, mean, you just get bogged down with seeing everything is just going to H-E-L-L and the toothpicks in a handbasket, you know, and, and, and it, my makeup is such that it's so easy to just see that side of things. So Paul says, as much as focus on the enemy, uh, flush out the enemy, this is who they are, this is what they're doing, don't get hung up just with that, focus on Messiah, and that's 4 through 12. And he does that by, by referring to his pre-salvation and his post-salvation, and I think it's really interesting. Focus on Messiah. Well, to focus on Messiah, all of us at some point did not have Messiah. So, so there's the prior Messiah in our life, and then there's the post-Messiah in, in our lives. And that's how Paul breaks up his own personal testimony here. So he says, yeah, they, they might have confidence in the flesh. Yeah, I might too. He says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. Now he goes on and tells us his prior salvation credentials. I was circumcised the eighth day. That's the time God allotted in the, in the scripture when you're supposed to circumcise on the eighth day. Of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, that was a very regal, very highly favored or thought of um, tribe because of its connection with, with Judah. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. I mean, just as pure as you can get, I guess. As touching the Torah, I was a Pharisee. I was, he tells us, I was even taught by Gamaliel. Concerning zeal, there was none greater than myself. I persecuted the church. Touching uh, the righteousness, which is in the Torah, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. So that's all prior. Then he gives the post-salvation. And that's all 8 through 12. We won't read it again. But so, so I find for myself, when I, I look around and it just seems like, what the heck is going on in our country, in the world? What's going on in Christianity and in in what we call this Messianic movement? What's going on in the lives with our own people? You know, it's so easy to just, you know, as it was in the days of Noah, so it's going to be now. And, and, and you know, who, who was it complaining that there's, 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 He's the last one. Was it Elijah, Elijah, Elisha, whichever one? And I'm the only one standing, God. It's easy to get to that point. And God said, hey, I get it. There's not as many as there should be, but I still have a few out there that are living and serving for me. And when you get to the place where you feel like nobody out there is doing you, well, it's for me and my house we will, even if nobody else does, it's never really that desperate. And so we need to, to, we need to realize that. And so... You know, we, we have a post-salvation experience and we have a, 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 a prior salvation, we have a prior salvation experience and a post-salvation experience. It's so interesting because if you think about all that Paul had going for him at this time in his life, where he's persecuting the church, being taught by Gamaliel, he has uh, a special 
authority to go after the Christians and, and go all, all the way up to uh, Damascus and bring them back and deal with them. He's already put uh, Stephen to death, you know, or was at least there consenting unto his death. And so Paul, in remembering about focusing on Messiah, he knows where he was, what he was. He knows what it cost him. It cost him a lot. Paul had a brilliant career awaiting him with major recognition, opportunities for advancement, and financial gain to be acquired. I mean, he was the next rising star in the Pharisee movement. I mean, he's climbing the ladder. He's doing everything that he could do to, to rise to the top. He's reaping the benefits from it. He, he could have stood back and said, man, if I just keep going, I'm, I am going to have major recognition. I'll be that guy, um, you know, that everybody looks to. Finances, advancement. But then, as usually happens, Messiah enters his life and just ruins it all, you know, from a human perspective. And he's not expecting this on the road to Damascus. But he realizes all of that he was doing was empty and nothing. But yet he's still human and he has to make a decision. And what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Messiah. He realized there's nothing to it. And so let me start with this again. Paul had a brilliant career awaiting him with major recognition, opportunities for advancement, and a financial gain to be had. And he, parenthesis, and so, in some minds for sure, threw it all away on this dead person, Yeshua of Nazareth. Can you imagine what he must have had to go through? Paul, what are you thinking? The guy is dead. He's dead. He's dead. You're throwing away a brilliant career. You realize how many people are going to turn against you? You will be ostracized, maligned. You'll never be able to get back in, Paul. Are you sure you know what you're doing? But because he had actually met Christ and was saved, he realized how shallow it all was and eternally damning. And so, yeah, he can look around and realize his enemies and every time he deals with a church, except for maybe the Philippians and even some still with them, he's, he's having to put out fires all the stinking time. You know, I'm sure he must have thought, if I had just kept in the same path I was going, I would have been on top of that and to deal with all that crap. I could have assigned other people. But now I'm dealing with these people. Like Moses, he probably said, man, I should have stayed in Egypt. What was I thinking? You know? But you come to realize there's a cost in everything. To believe what we say we believe, there's a cost. And I think we've lost that mindset. It's required of us. It's an obligation. All right, so anyway, flush out the enemy, focus on Messiah, Forget the past. So he says, forgetting those things which are behind. Verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before. You know, we just have to forget the past. I mean, Paul, he, it, it pained him, I think, to his dying day that blood was shed under his authority and approval, families were just devastated. The damage and the long-term fallout to people that were still living was huge. You know, I, I did think in, in, in the wonderful providence, loving providence and sovereignty of God, Paul, uh, God sent Paul away from where he created the damage and sent him way over there. Right? I mean, if you think about it, I mean, 
Maybe it was a mercy that God called him and set him apart to be the apostle to the Gentiles because he went, instead of being here, he went over here and spent a lot of his time over there. You have to forget the past. Ah, it's so hard. You know, forget stuff prior salvation and even forget stuff post-salvation. So Paul, you know, the, so forget the past. Things he did prior to his salvation, he had to forget. And the things he did good or not so good after his salvation. It's all not, really. It's all, you know, we have to just lay ourselves aside for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. However God chooses that to play out in our lives. Paul had learned to accept and move forward based upon his new position as being in Messiah. And we have to learn to forgive ourselves as we too have been forgiven in Yeshua. You know, forgetting the past. You know, for those of you that grew up in Christian families and you didn't grow up in non-Christian families and had generations of non-Christians before and lived a prolific life of sin, you know, there's not much of a past for you to forget. You know, but there's some like the Apostle Paul and others in Scripture and people even today, you know, who come to Messiah after lives, long years of living in sin and all that comes with it. It plagues you. It just hangs with you. But you have to set it aside and forget the past, forgetting those things which are behind. I mean, it was still lingering with Paul so much that under inspiration, he said, this is how I am going to live for Messiah. I'm going to forget what's behind and I'm going to look forward. I'm going to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Messiah Yeshua. And so then the fourth thing he tells them as far as standing fast is to forge alliances. So that's 317 through 19. You need friends. You, you need comrades. You, know, you, know, you just need comrades in all this. You have to flush out the enemy, focus on Messiah, forget the past. But you can't walk alone. You need alliances. You need to be linked up. It's one thing, Luke, I, I appreciate about Rob and Caleb. I don't know if you've been listening much. They're big on community. I mean, they're huge on community, you know, that you can't stand alone. And one of the, one of the, the things that they're, they're ticked off about the Hebrew Roots Messianic movement is the lack of commitment to community, right? I mean, it's been refreshing to listen to these guys. You know, and it's because of, of an authority structure and, and placing yourself under authority and, and how it's not how God set up for believers to live their Christian Messiah Messianic life. You know, you, you, you can't stand alone. Okay, you might have a family, but we need community because this is where you have to, you have to flush out what happens in chapter 4. Verse 2, I beseech Yodius and beseech Synecdoche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. That's reality. That's community. That's why Yeshua died. I will build my ecclesia. And, and, and he didn't set it up to just be everybody do whatever they want. He grew up in the synagogue mindset of his day. Where am I going with all this? Oh, so forge alliances. Establish and maintain Good relationships, verse 17, chapter 3. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which so walk as ye have us for an example. You don't want the Judaizers, those enemies, those that are opposing you. Yodi and Synecdoche, I'm talking to you in just a second here. You're creating a little bit of havoc in the fellowship. Stop it! Your brothers and sisters in Messiah... Come together. So establish and maintain good relationships. That's 17. Why? Because there may, 
I wrote May. There will come a time in which you'll have to let some go. 17. Be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. And then you have a parenthesis here, 18 and 19. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping. I love that. He's writing and he's crying. His, mem- his mind is taking him back to those that were apart and now they're gone. And, and I don't know, maybe tears dropped on the, the, the parchment that he was writing. But he says, I tell you, I now tell you even weeping. See, that's a side of leadership that nobody sees. Where the guy that really loves God's people in the fellowship, the leadership, they, they feel this stuff. That they now are the enemies of the cross of Messiah. And the end is not going to be good for them. It's destruction. They've chosen to just live for themselves. Who's God's their belly? Whose glory's in their shame? <sighs> Mind earthly things. So there may come a time in which you have to let some go. <laughs> I wrote, if not, they'll suck the life out of you. Why do I say that? Because Paul's weeping. It sucked the life out of him. It hurts. It's painful. But you know what? That's part of having fellowship and relationships. Every relationship has its moments that just suck. And there's probably not one husband and wife that just wish, man, this would be good if you were gone or I was gone. But you can't. You're committed. It's a commitment to God. And so when we got saved and entered into the body of Messiah, we made the same commitment to God's people. And, and I wish we could see that these days, that we've made a commitment to our Savior, to His ecclesia that He's building. We can't just walk away. Can't get upset and just, well, we don't like that. It's a family. It's, it's a family. I don't understand. We've lost this family mindset. So, Paul concludes with encouragement. Paul's encouragement, which leads him into the need to stand fast. So, 20 through 21 is where Paul gives some encouragement now, as he's going to try to build on this to get them to stand fast in the Lord. So, how are they going to stand fast, the rest of the chapter 4? All right, you have to flush out the enemy. I can't remember my outline. Focus on Messiah, forget the past, forge alliances. So then he winds us up with encouragement. For our conversation, citizenship, that's that word, they would get think, oh yeah, we're Roman citizens. Oh yeah, we have guards protecting us. Wow, look at all the benefits we have of being in this community of Philippi. Okay, he's going to build on that for the community of faith. For our citizen, our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things to himself. He's basically saying, one day we're going to be together in heaven. Chapter 4, let's be together now in earth, on earth. Chapter 3, we're going to be together eternally. Let's be together, chapter 4, temporally let's start living that life now we have enough to be concerned with with the enemies that are trying to wreak havoc with us we need one another and through the strength of each other as a fellowship you folks will stand fast It's so good. And stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech you, Yodius, and beseech Synecdoche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. 
You know, let's read chapter 4 and we'll finish because it, we'll just read it. Verse 3. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, we don't know who that is, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Again, here's that idea of we're going to be together in eternity. Rejoice! In the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Wesley in the Wesley Study Bible had, had a good note here. It's like he's saying this to both of them because he says rejoice twice. Wesley said, it's like he's saying to Eudius, rejoice in the Lord always and uh, synecdoche. And again, I say rejoice. And, and Wesley, it's like he's looking at the two of them. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You know, you can see it as a, as a parent. You know, you've done a, I'm talking to you, but I'm talking to you too. I thought that was pretty good how he said that. Verse 5, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. In the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall, just like in Philippi, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. And that's why I said he learned how to forget the past. I have learned in whatsoever state I am there with to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. As a matter of fact, I can do all things through Messiah which strengthens me, notwithstanding. Ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also, this is almost heartbreaking, that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. See, stuff like that blows my mind. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessities, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And uh, he goes on and closes there. It's just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful book. He, he talks about uh, Epaphroditus in chapter 2 at the end. Uh, he says, Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation because for the work of Messiah he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service to me. See, that's what Paul's talking about. Here's this guy. He stood fast. He almost died, risked his life, became so sick in the service of the Lord. I thought maybe he was going to die. But Paul says, God had mercy on me by not putting too heavy things on me. It's bad enough. I'm already going what I'm going through. It would be horrible if, if, if he dies, Lord, trying to meet my needs. Heal him. And you know what's interesting? Look, the Apostle Paul didn't lay hands on him and heal him. The Apostle Paul could not, did not heal this man. Boy, I don't know where I want to go with that. You know, now we have it all back once again in the Messianic movement. So anyway, stand fast. You know what? I, I have determined, Luke, and it's not as dark and dingy as I'm making it, obviously, but where we have to start is no matter what, we will do right, we will be right. Dr. Bob Sr. said, do right. Even if the stars fall, do right. That's why I take my hat off to people like... Um, Noah, Joseph, they did right. Daniel, 
and his three friends, they did right. All the prophets, they did right. They stayed in the fray. They did not give up. Joshua, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Quit you like men. It's always this call to stay, to stand, to remain. To be faithful. To do right. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the Apostle Paul and his message here to, to the Philippians and his encouragement to them based upon all that they were facing and the need to stand, to stand. We have enough to deal with with the world bombarding us. We need to get together. Basically, he's saying, hey, guys, chapter 4, when you get together, we, we cannot be doing this anymore. We have enough to fight already from without. We don't need to be fighting from within. We need unity. Come together. Be a band of brothers for Yeshua. So, Father, just work. Finish this, I pray. Thank you for encouraging me, quite frankly, through all this, though I might not have sounded so encouraging. I'm, I'm greatly encouraged to stand fast, to, to not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season, Paul says, we shall reap if we faint not. To not grow weary in well-doing. I mean, if that wasn't a reality and something that the majority of your people faced at times, then it wouldn't be in your word. There is that tendency to grow weary, to not see the fruit, to, to not see things happening, to wonder what the heck is going on, and it's all just falling apart all around us. But you are still sovereign. You are still God. Yeshua is still holding everything together through his power. And you're doing your work and will as you see fit. All we have to do is on our individual basis to make sure we just stand fast in you. In Yeshua's name, amen. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does lie only away. The soon is the day when we see your face. Of your grace and zeal.